0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: we in Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We're going to pray together now, and if you guys would uh, pray along with me, I'm going to have the the words of the Lord's Prayer up on the screen, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray it together. Father, that's a prayer of our heart, Lord. Um, That prayer that we were given by Your Son, Jesus. And that's what we want tonight. We want for Your name to be lifted up, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be set apart, to be praised. And Lord, we pray that You would give us the desire of our heart here in that. And we pray, Lord, that Your kingdom would come and Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we look at the text tonight, we're going to be reminded that that prayer request will be answered. And so we pray, Lord, as we dig into Your Word and we see that reality, Lord, that it would just give us tremendous hope and joy in our present sufferings and that You would strengthen us, Lord, to to be Your people in the world and to be Your people for one another. And we pray, Lord, give us uh, this day our daily bread. Uh, Lord, You are the one that provides everything we have. Lord, we forget it so often. We think that we provide things out of our own hands. But it's not true. You've given us life and breath and all things. We would have nothing without You. And Lord, tonight as we come before Your Word, we're asking for bread from heaven for Your people to feed Your people. Lord, we don't need to hear the the thoughts and opinions of a man. We need to hear Your very words. So we pray, Lord, that You would give us that daily bread. And Lord, as we come before You and we worship and You've invited us into Your presence, we're well aware of our sin. We pray, Lord, that You would forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, help us to lay aside all resentments right now towards those who have sinned against us, to lay aside all bitterness and malice and all of those things we harbor in our hearts, Lord, that we would be so rocked by Your complete forgiveness of us that we would grant it to other people. And we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord. As my brother David talked about a little earlier earlier, um, we do have an enemy and we pray, Lord, that you would protect us from that enemy. As we're taking in your word, we're well aware of the parable of the sowers and that some of the word, those seeds that were scattered on hard places, that, that the birds came by and plucked them out. And uh, your son Jesus said that those were that was the enemy plucking the word out of the heart. And so we just pray, Lord, against that for here. We pray that everyone that's come into this place, that their hearts would be good soil for your word. It's Your Word, Your Gospel will go deep into our hearts and transform us. And Lord, we pray that Your kingdom, that we'd be all about Your kingdom because Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in Romans 8. This is an amazing passage. You guys, this is like, I don't know, this is like Prime Rib Night or something like that. I don't know what this is. But uh, this is an amazing text. And, One of the things to think about when you look at a text like this is you might ask the question, what is this world coming to? You guys asked that lately? What is this world coming to? Okay. This is a great text on what this world is coming to. What is this world coming to? What is your life coming to? The answer to this text, guys, is that this world is coming to incomparable glory. And that if you're in Christ, your life is coming to incomparable glory. Uh, you might want to just check yourself for just a moment and think about when I asked you, what is this world coming to? What would your neighbors and your kids and your friends and your coworkers think you think is the answer to the question? What is this world coming to? Do they know that you believe this world and your life is coming to incomparable glory? This is so important that we get this, guys, because you'll inevitably come to a place in your life where you ask, is this all worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to suffer with Jesus? It says in verse 17 that if we suffer with Christ, we'll be glorified with him. And you're going to come to places in your life, and I know you already have, where you thought, is it worth it? Is it worth it to suffer with Christ to be glorified with him? You know, Is it worth it to suffer physical pain and parenting pain and financial pain and pain in your marriage and, and ministry disappointments and losses of friends and family and you know, struggles with mental illness and or severe lifelong temptations. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to suffer through all that with Jesus? And you might say, well, what's the other option? It's not like if I were to leave Jesus, somehow all those problems would go away. Some of them would. And you know what else you might do is you might just medicate your pain, right? You might just medicate it with distractions and sin. I think the parable of the sower is a good example, Right? How many of you guys, maybe we do a show of hands. How many of you guys have felt the pain of life and instead of suffering at faithful to Jesus, turned to distraction and sin to medicate it? Anyone? Okay, so few here, okay? I would say the same for myself too. That's the temptation. But Paul says here that it's more than worth it to suffer with Jesus. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a huge claim, guys. It's a massive claim, okay? It's like, you know, you've got all this suffering in this world, and there are limitless ways to suffer in this world. <laughs> There's quite a variety of ways to suffer, ways to have pain, ways for life to be difficult. And so if you put all that suffering on this side of a scale, there'd have to be a whole lot of glory over here to balance that out. But Paul's saying it's not that they balance out. It's that there's so much glory that there's not even a point in comparing your suffering to it. That in the end, there's no comparing it to the glory you're going to receive. You see why that would be important to know? It's so important to know what your future is because it's going to determine how faithful you are to Jesus along the way. And so he gives two reasons here why we should believe and we should expect this insanely overpowering glorious future best possible future you can imagine gives us two reasons and the reasons are the creation groans for its future glory and then the second reason is we groan for our future glory so let's look at the first one the creation itself is groaning for this glorious future look at verse 19 for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He does an interesting thing here. It's called personification. So you kids, maybe you're elementary school middle school something like that you know that personification is is giving something that isn't a person some personhood and so he talks about the creation here groaning and waiting and the old testament does this a lot where it talks about the earth doing different things like trees clapping their hands and the mountains singing and things like that and here he says that the physical world is waiting and groaning you might say well wh- why would the creation be groaning verse 20 says that the creation was subjected to futility 21 says that the creation is in bondage to corruption. And verse 22 says the whole creation is groaning together because of pain. This world is not the way it should be. You guys may have noticed. You may even have a feeling of that. You might even be a Christian and have a sense like, this probably isn't the way it's supposed to be. We have a sense in us that this world is not the way it should be. Genesis 3 tells us why. It's human sin has made this world the way it is. It's not the way it should be. And the story is, in Genesis, what happened was is that people were created by God to rule over the world. You know, Adam and Eve were created to rule over the world. They were given the charge to keep the enemy out, to keep the enemy out of the garden and, and out of the world. And they were given the charge to cultivate it for the glory of God. That's Genesis 1 and 2. But those first human beings, they failed to rule when they listened to the enemy, right? They listened to the serpent, they believed his lies, and they sinned against God. And that set the whole world wrong. Sin flooded into the world. Because of sin, God put a curse over the world. That's what it says here when it says He was subjected to futility. God subjected this world to something called the curse where there was futility and corruption and pain. And the reason why God did this is that the curse over this world, all those things that you see, death and disease and destruction, all the things we see in this world, they're meant to be like a global illustration that things are not right between God and man. You know, if you were thinking that maybe human beings are all just fine with God, you would look around at the world and you would realize things are not the way they should be. George Whitfield, who was a preacher in the 1700s, he said this about the curse and the, the difficulty that has come because of sin. He says, dogs bark at us and tigers want to eat us because they've taken up God's side of the quarrel. Right. <laughs> you know that the world's not friendly to us. Right. This is the reason why when you take your family for one night of camping, you need like three vehicles full of stuff. It's because the world is not friendly to us. It's not hospitable to us. And it's not hospitable to us because it's an image of the sin that we've fallen into. Every time we see natural disasters or pandemics or climate change or disease or death, we're reminded that our sin has separated us from God. That's what it's for. And the creation's futility means that the creation isn't doing what it was meant to do. Because the creation isn't designed to be like a machine. It's designed more to be like a theater or a temple. The creation was designed to display something. The creation was designed to display the glory of God. That's what it's for. By the way, that's what you're for too. The creation was designed to display the glory of God. It was designed to shout out the glory of God. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims its handiwork. And it's still doing that, but it's not doing all it was designed to do. you know when we see suffering and disease and death in the world, we're seeing ways in which this creation is not shouting the glory of God as it ought to, just as sin has affected our ability to to do our purpose, we've fallen short of the glory of God. The creation has too, because of our sin, which is kind of amazing to me because I mean, I love the outdoors, we love to go camping and hiking, well, not really camping, we stay in a hotel, and then we go hiking. But you go places like Zion and you go to places like Mammoth and you go to the amazing Tahoe, places like that, and it's so beautiful. And this passage says that it's not anywhere near what it should look like, which is amazing to think about, isn't it? But we do encounter the curse all the time. You know, we can do a show of hands of how many of you guys have anky joints or, you know, issues with your brain or pain in your bodies and and your health ailing and all the difficulties that you run into we see that creation has been subjected to futility. But that curse isn't permanent. Take a look at verse 20. It says that God subjected it, the creation, in hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. That God who subjected it to this curse will one day free it. You say, well, when? When's that going to happen? What's that going to look like? Um, What's the creation waiting for? It says the creation's groaning and it's waiting for something. What's it waiting for? Look at verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what's it waiting for? The creation's going to be set free from the curse. The creation's going to be set free from its futility, from its corruption, from its pain when it receives back righteous human rulers. Does you realize that? When it receives back righteous human rulers. God set this emotion, He sent Jesus Christ, His own Son, become a man. He's the, the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And He lived a perfect life in our place and He became our righteousness. And then He died for us on the cross, removing all our sin. And then when He was resurrected, Jesus was resurrected as the rightful human king of this world. He's resurrected as the rightful k- human king of this world. And when Jesus returns, He's going to resurrect all of His people. All of us who trust in Christ are going to be resurrected, physically resurrected and we're going to reign over this earth, which is going to trigger the restoration of the entire creation. That's not amazing? It's amazing. That's what this text is talking about. It says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The world will be restored, guys, when the fallen sons of Adam and Eve return in glory to reign as the sons and daughters of God. That's going to trigger a complete makeover of this entire place. And the reason why I asked that question in the beginning, what is this world coming to, is that I believe that this is going to be this actual creation that's going to be made new. It's not that He's going to done with this and throw it in the trash and make an entirely new one. This text, you'll see it, puts together our resurrection and the earth's resurrection together that both are going to be glorified and made new. Revelation 21 and 22 shows the same thing. that When heaven comes down to earth, earth is made new. So He's going to make this place new. And the Old Testament speaks to this entirely. And I just want to remind you guys, no other worldview has such compelling answers to where we came from, why it's wrong, and how it's going to be better. No worldview has better answers than you have biblically. For example, things like this. Where did this world come from? There's a couple options outside of the Bible. It's always been here. Nothing to see here. It's always been here. Eternal matter. Not super believable. I wouldn't say more believable than an eternal God that matters always existed. Everything seems to have a cause, right? Everything seems to come from somewhere. It's like, nope, it didn't come from anywhere. It's always existed. Your other option is, is that it appeared from absolutely nothing of its own accord. Also, not super believable. Okay, Better answer is that it's the good creation of God and that's why it's beautiful and yet we'll find it's also broken. Is this the good creation of God? What went wrong with it? Some worldviews, Buddhism, for example, would say, well, suffering's an illusion. doesn't feel like one, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think it's taking my pain very seriously, is it? You know, that's an illusion. Nothing to see here. That's not really an answer to the question. Or if you believe in a totally naturalistic way that we came about by the strong, eats the weak, then suffering's your maker. You shouldn't dislike it, it made you. It's your creator. Your creator is suffering. A far better answer, guys, is that suffering came in through human sin and that's why creation is both beautiful and yet broken. We can look at it and go, wow, this is so beautiful, and yet constantly be experiencing its brokenness. What about the answer of how it will be set right? This is where it gets real wobbly for other worldviews. There's really no hope, guys, for the physical world outside of Jesus Christ. Okay? You could say, well, what, how is this all going to be made right? You could say, education. <laughs> will educate people out of suffering. And education helps. Or we'll say technology, right? Technology helps. We can solve death too. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, we can get more technological and become worse people. Okay? That happens. So we have like more technology for harming each other. Far better answer is that Jesus is going to return and make all things new. Guys, no other worldview gives any real hope for the physical world. And so I just want to challenge you. Have you told anybody about this? Because the, the way to share the Gospel is not just individual sin, which is the key way to share the gospel. But there's another way in, which is, I mean, we could talk about what's the hope for the world. People think about that all the time. People have no hope for the world, guys. We have hope for the world. Hope for the world through Jesus Christ, who's died for our sins, make us right to him, and is going to make all things new. So sin has broken this world, but God hasn't given up on it. He loves His creation. He loves the physical. I don't know about you and your church background, but sometimes people get the the impression that God created this physical world, sin came in, and God went like, okay, that was a terrible idea. We won't do that again. We're just going to go on to a mystical, spiritual place called heaven, and we're not going to mess with any of that physicality again. We're not going to do a physical creation again. That's not what the Bible teaches, guys. The Bible teaches that God loves His creation. He's not throwing it away. He's going to make all things new. Isn't that exciting? Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't think you grew up wanting to be like just a merely spiritual being in a merely spiritual place. Did you? Anybody want to live as a ghost in a ghostly world? No. We want to live on in a physical world. And that's exactly what the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms, with all their poetic skill were talking about. They were talking about this world being made new. Let me give you some examples. And these are poetic, obviously, but they're, they're hints at a beauty and a joy and a glory to come. Psalm Uh, 96 says this about the world, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Or Psalm 98, let the sea roar and all that fills it, and the world and all that dwells in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Or Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land, which is where we live, and the desert shall rejoice and bloom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Then shall the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God appear. Or Isaiah 55, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills before you will break forth into singing and all the trees will clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is an image of the future, guys. This is what the prophets and the psalmists talk about as the future, what this world is coming to through Jesus Christ. Or Amos 9 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And listen to this. And the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills will flow with them. It's amazing, right? Or, and maybe this Christmas song would help. You know joy to the world, let no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found. Amen, or if you like Andrew Bird, it's going to rain champagne, and the hills are going to dance. That sounds good, that sounds like the Old Testament, doesn't it? Guys, when you prayed that prayer earlier, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That request is going to be literally answered at the return of Jesus. It's going to be literally answered. He's going to make this world new. And, guys, by the way, that's the true apocalypse. And it's very common to use the term apocalypse or apocalyptic. Apocalypse means the revealing of Jesus. Okay? So, when you talk about like a post apocalyptic world, it's the hills dancing and the trees clapping their hands. It's not what you think. Okay? And the other thing, too, is when we talk about the end of the world, The end of the world when Jesus returns is just the beginning. It's the beginning of the creation being made all new. Our world will be freed from futility and go to fullness. So every square inch of this planet will sing of the glory of God. Our world will be freed from corruption into life. And so this unnatural enemy death seems like we should have done something about death by now, right? Our unnatural enemy death is going to be finally removed. Our world will be freed from pain and enter into joy. And I love the verse that, that talks about this. Verse 22, take a look at it. Our suffering, this passage is saying, that our suffering in this life actually is a sign of our coming joy. Because it uses the image here of birth pain. Right. Look at Psalm, uh, verse 22. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Guys, for us, for Christians, the pain that we see and experience in this world, they're birth pains, not death pains. They're not death pains for Christians. Like, as your body falls apart and as you be, have more and more pain in your life, or as you, the things you experience in this world relationally, or whatever pains you experience in this life, are not death pains for Christians. They're birth pains. It's a totally different way of seeing pain, guys. When, when we experience suffering, this verse tells us that we should know that, that this is the creation, birth pains for our future joy. They're not death pains. Some things about birth pains. They're not unexpected, okay? A woman that's pregnant, starts having birth pains, this is not unexpected. Our pain is not unexpected. It's expected, right? Also, birth pains are not pointless. A lot of times we think about our suffering and think like, what point could this have? This seems unnecessary. Birth pains are never pointless, right? And birth pains, Another thing about them is that they don't crush our hope, they create hope. You don't know, have birth pains and go like, oh, this is going nowhere good, Right? our pain our birth pains and guys I do not know how many centimeters dilated we are at this point no idea but I do know that the water broke and there's no epidural for this ride okay I do know that part and I do know that the pains that we experience guys are about the glory to come that's the way we need to look at pain right you guys love that okay Okay, so we can know that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glorious future we have because of the creation groans. Secondly, we groan. Take a look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So just like creation groans, we groan. Do you groan? Anybody been groaning? The older you get, the more you can get like a groan fest going with other guys, you know? You know, you'd be like, just hang around. It's like, what should we talk about? We did the weather. Now let's talk about where we hurt. You know, like, this is good. But there's tons of reasons to groan, right? This is very practical. And I love the Bible because the Bible does not do what Buddhism does. Go, oh, it's all an illusion. If you're having a bad time, you must not be doing it right. Right? The Bible's like, no, we groan. This is painful. Life is painful. Life is pain. Life is suffering. It acknowledges that, which is so beautiful. But there's a lot of reasons. You've got physical pain. You've got relationship pain. The pain that we deal with in our minds. The pain of constant temptation. But notice what verse 23 says increases our groaning. It's kind of interesting. Because yeah, we groan from those things. But look at what this passage says we groan from. Look at verse 23. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan. So we groan, guys, not just because of the difficulties of life, but because we have actually been given tasty samples of the future. That's what first fruits are, right? You have a crop. First fruits are those first tastes. We've been given tasty samples of our future, and that's part of the reason we've grown. So we groan grown and we're eager for the world to come, not just because of the pain of the present, but because we've tasted some of the pleasure of the future. Amen? It's like a horse, you know? You've got a really stubborn horse. We're that stubborn horse, and we're wanting to move into the future because we've got the pain of this life as a whip behind us, but we've got the, like, the carrot of the future in front of us. And we're tasting that future, and we want that future, and so we grow. And we go like, not only do we just say, "Oh, this is so difficult." Jesus, come soon, which we say all the time, right? But we also say, "Man, I've tasted the future glory." Jesus, come soon. So it's on both ends. And specifically, the Holy Spirit has given us tastes of our future Christ likeness. I think that's the main taste that we've had, the main first fruit that we've had. That we're like, and we're like, I want more of this. Right? you guys hate smackers? Yeah, I hate smacking too, so I shouldn't have done that. Specifically, the Holy Spirit has given us tastes of the future Christ-likeness. So if you're a Christian, you've already experienced some of the Holy Spirit's work in renovating your heart and changing your desires and making you more like Christ. We call that sanctification. It could be called Christification or being made more like Jesus, right? Paul calls these fruits that you've already gotten, some of these first fruits, he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. The things like love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are first fruits of what it's going to be like to be like Christ, to be in his image. And right now we're in this process where we're becoming more and more like Jesus called sanctification. And sanctification is a slow, painful, embarrassing process. Anybody think their sanctification is slow? Any spouses here think that their spouse is sanctification? Okay, yeah, I got that. That's good. So it's slow. Has anybody found sanctification painful? I think it's extremely painful. Okay, I find that painful. Have any of you found sanctification embarrassing? That's the worst for me. I don't like the embarrassment of it all. You know, like to, to be going through this process and it, and it requires God humbling you and stuff in front of other people. It's like it's so public. But sanctification, is, it's slow and painful and embarrassing. But guys, it's, it's such a blessing, right? Because it's the first fruits of us becoming like Jesus. And then all of a sudden, and this is the cool part, all of a sudden when Jesus returns, he's going to complete the process. Boom, done. And you think like, why don't we do this in the beginning? You know, we could have avoided all the awkwardness in the middle. But when he comes, he's going to complete the process of making us like Jesus. And, and, and he's not only going to change our hearts and our appetites and our desires, but he's going to change our very bodies. That's what he says here it's going to actually change your body. Your body's going to be completely free of the allure of sin. So that for the first time, you're going to be perfect in the love of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect love of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect joy of Jesus in you. You're going to have the perfect peace of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect kindness of Jesus in you. You're going to have the perfect goodness of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect faithfulness of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect gentleness of Jesus. You're going to have the perfect self-control of Jesus. And what Paul calls it here is he calls it the redemption of our bodies. Look at verse twenty-three. He calls it the redemption of our bodies. That when we're resurrected and we're glorified and made new, we're going to re- still be physical bodies, still physical humans, but our bodies are going to be redeemed and made new. He says in verse twenty-nine that it's, it's being conformed to the image of His Son. Not awesome? You guys, look forward to that. That sounds amazing, right? That sounds amazing. He also calls it though, This is kind of interesting. He also calls it our adoption as sons. Now, if you guys who were last week. That might seem odd to you because we just talked about how, you know, we're already adopted by God. We're already sons and daughters. And yet this text seems to show us that we're looking forward to our adoption as sons. So it's like, which is it? Is it that we're already adopted or that we're going to receive our adoption then? Like, which one is it? And I think what's going on here is the answer is yes, which is that we have already been adopted. We're already God's sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him. And yet we don't really look like it, do we? Anybody notice that? Anybody notice you're a son or daughter of God in Jesus, if you're trusting in Him. You know, you have the sonship of Jesus. You are His child just like Jesus is His child. And yet, you don't look like it. I mean, I don't mean to pick on you, but it's just a fact, right? And it's a fact for me too, is that we don't always look like it. We're being transformed. We're being made new. There's no doubt that there's real sanctification occurring, but it doesn't look like it. And so what I see happening here is that when we get the redemption of our bodies, when Jesus returns... We look like it for the first time. You know, we have this relationship already. It's a reality, but it's going to be revealed. And and nobody's going to be able to doubt at that moment, including yourself, that you're truly a son or a daughter of God. It's going to be evident. It's going to be so obvious. You're going to be so perfectly having the stamp of being conformed to the image of his son. Isn't that awesome? That's the redemption of our bodies. That's our physical bodies. They're going to be resurrected. They're going to be raised. They're going to be made new. And so here's how it works. If you, if you die before he returns, you're going to be dead. And your body's going to be on the ground. And when Jesus returns, your body's going to come up out of the ground. It's going to be transformed and made new. It's not an entirely new body because Jesus' body was an entirely new body, right? His body came out of the grave. It's not there anymore because he took it with him. And your body is going to be made new as well. And if you're still alive when Jesus returns, you're going to be like kicking it and then all of a sudden be caught up into the air and given that body on the way up. It's a trip, isn't it? And your bodies, guys, are going to be physical, real bodies, right? Solid. But they're going to be undying, unaging, unaching, unburdened, and untempted. Guys, we don't believe in a disembodied eternal life. A lot of Christians put off that vibe. We do not believe in a disembodied eternal life. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. You realize that our people, Christians, they used to be buried facing east with a stone that said resurgum over him. Resurgum means in Latin, I will rise again. Okay? And they were buried facing east because Jesus said, just like lightning goes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And they want to be facing him. <laughs> they took this very literally. <laughs> like, I'm going to lay this way and then boom, I'm going up and I will rise again. How awesome does it sound to say, I will rise again. That's gutsy, right? None of this silly talk about I'm going to live on and my loved ones, you know memories or I'm gonna live on in my loved ones' hearts. Guys, we're gonna live on in our bodies, not in our loved ones' hearts. That's not the plan. It never has been the plan. And so our final destination, guys, is not to live in like a light blue background with white puffy clouds, and maybe some of you have harps and there's not a whole lot else going on there. That's not heaven, guys. That's the Simpsons. Okay? So if you're getting your eschatology from the Simpsons, I mean not that they couldn't be right once in a while, but it's not safe not a good place to get it our final destination guys is resurrected physical bodies in a resurrected physical world that's called life after life after death if you were to die now your spirit indeed would go your body would go in the grave your spirit indeed would go up to be with God in heaven and you would be a spirit in a spiritual place right far better though than light blue background by a few clouds read revelation 4 and 5 it describes what heaven really looks like and it's awesome for one thing, all those images of heaven, God's never there, which is a huge problem, right? So if you died now and you're Christian, your spirit would go to be with the Lord until he returns to give you your body. Your body would be in the grave. That's called life after death. But your final destination is a resurrected body and resurrected world. That's called life after life after death. Okay? And a lot of times we don't think of the life after life after death. right? It's even hard to say. All right, so what's this world coming to? What's your life coming to? If you're a child of God, it's coming to incomparable glory. Incomparable glory. And we can be certain about this future because we've already tasted some of it through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that certain expectation, guys, is called hope. Okay? Okay? Biblical word for I'm certain this future is coming for me is called hope. And it's confusing because the culture has a word called hope that means the exact opposite. So like if you say, hey, are you coming over to our house for dinner tonight? And the person says, I hope so. Don't plan on it. They're not coming. That's a nice way of letting you down. Okay. But guys, biblically, hope is a certain expectation of a glorious future. That's what hope is. It's a certain expectation. Look at verse 24. For in this we hope, in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what they have seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Guys, hope is not wishful thinking. It's a certain expectation. And guys, there's nothing more certain about the future than that glorious hope I just described. Okay? There's nothing more certain. Your Monday morning of work, it's not more certain you'll be alive tomorrow. It's not more nothing is more certain than that glorious hope that I just told you about. And the reason why we know that is because Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension have made it certain. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ. You can be absolutely sure about that and absolutely unsure about everything else in the world. That's what hope is. Hope is an eager, certain expectation. Of a glorious future. And what's cool about that is if you really believe in that future and you really have that hope, you know, it's like, here's your life now, here's the coming of Christ. I need a diagram, I need a whiteboard. And then here we have like the new earth with Christ, this glorious future. And this place is just like packed with happiness, right? Just packed with joy. This is a wonderful place. This here, sometimes joyful, sometimes not, right? What's cool is if you have that hope and you, you believe in that future, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit gives you joy from here and it like leaks back into the present. right? Because if, if you're really certain of that future, it gives you a happiness that belongs to the future leaking back into the present. It's like when you're going to go on vacation. right? So when you go on vacation, your work week's better the week before, right? What is that? That's the joy of the future, because you have this hope, leaking back into the present. And the way the Christian life's supposed to work is that we are so certain of that future that there's a joy that gets us through things because we believe in it. We suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. And I just ask you tonight, are you suffering with Christ? Suffering with Him. I love that it's with Him. It's not just for Him. You do suffer for Him. But you're suffering with Him, right? Do you suffer with Christ? And I'm not just talking about the sufferings like we kind of focused on the ones that are uninvited. that just happened to you. You didn't choose them. You didn't invite them, right? But what about the suffering that you invite the call to follow Jesus is to voluntarily take on suffering. You guys surprised by that? Are you surprised? Wait, seriously, are you? Because you look surprised. So the, the call to follow Jesus is, is a call to voluntarily take on suffering. Does that surprise you? Okay, so so Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his, his recliner, no, his cross, and follow me. What's the cross for? The execution, right? It's a torture device, okay? So... Jesus was really clear on this. What I wanted to make sure when I did this, and I don't think I would have done this to you, but maybe somebody else did it to you, where they told you, like, if you come and follow Jesus, everything's going to get better, and it's going to be wonderful, and it'll be your best life now. Somebody tell you that? Because Jesus totally didn't say that. And what happens is that people think that, they follow Jesus, and they're mad at him. Like, oh, this was supposed to be easy. And Jesus is like, I never said that. The Bible never said that, right? So, okay, let me back up. To follow Jesus is a call to voluntarily take on suffering. Jesus is calling us to voluntarily take on financial suffering to give to those who are in need. Jesus is calling us to voluntarily take on the suffering of awkwardness as we share the gospel. You believe that? Voluntarily take on suffering. I, I think maybe why this part's not sliding as nicely is, is because we are super comfortable. Aren't we? You guys comfortable right now? It's nice in here. We're super comfortable. We crave comfort. We avoid pain at all costs, right? And the call to follow Jesus is a call to voluntarily suffer financially to those who are in need, um, to suffer awkwardness in sharing the gospel. Is it painful to share the gospel? Is it awkward? It is. It's it's a call to voluntarily do that. It's a call to voluntarily suffer the inconvenience of giving our lives to a particular group of believers called the church. Do you guys realize that? The call to follow Jesus is to intentionally volunteer. You're volunteering to suffer the inconvenience of being a part of a local body of believers, to bear their burdens. The call to follow Jesus is, is a call to, to take on suffering in all different ways. Some of you may be even called to take on even more suffering, take the gospel of the nations. To follow Jesus, we invite all kinds of suffering. And guys, we do it gladly, knowing that soon we're going to experience glory with Him. That's what verse 17 says that we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. Guys, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it. And I've done a very weak job of telling you how well it's going to be worth it. It's way more worth it than that. One last thing I want to bring up is, are you a child of God tonight? And this is one of the most important things you get ask, is are you a child of God tonight? You could be certain tonight. Even if you're like, I don't know, maybe, kind of thought it was, Listen to the words of, in John 1. It says, But to all who received Jesus and believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so if you would trust tonight in Jesus Christ, He will make you His own child. Isn't that amazing? And He will give you that future which He earned for you on the cross. He'll give you that future. Yeah, we don't deserve that. And that's ours. It's our gift. It's our inheritance. And so, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, please let us know. We'd love to get you baptized. We'd love even tonight for you to take the Lord's Supper with us. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much that we have such a certain and beautiful and glorious future. Lord, help us to have such a hope that the joy of that fills us in the present. As we go, but we don't know what faces us this week and this month and and this year and years to come. We don't know what we have to face. But Lord, help us to face it with the joy that comes that we know we have this great inheritance coming for us. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to see our sufferings as pains of childbirth, not pains of death. Lord, our life is not slipping away our life is rapidly approaching. Help us to see that and rejoice in that. Help that to transform us. Lord, we pray Your Spirit would make that in us such an instinct. And I thank You for these people that have gathered here to worship You. I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, I pray you truly feed them. You'd feed them by the Holy Spirit. you strengthen them. They would leave happy, holy, with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for giving us your word and this body of believers to be a part of. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May
1: the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.